and welcome to Positive Mental Attitude, a podcast about the positive aspects of mental health. I'm Juliette Burton. I'm a comedian, a speaker, a writer, mental health practitioner and physical health tolerator. This show is about how we don't have to be ashamed of our mental health conditions. I mean, you can if you like, but there's no reason to. I mean, why make something that's bad unnecessarily worse? You wouldn't feel ashamed if you got a cold. Unless you got it from streaking in cold weather or something, which has definitely not happened to either I or my lovely guest this week, which we'll come on to in a second. Uh, I have many mental health conditions and in the order of the order that I wrote them down, they are anorexia, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, bulimia, bipolar disorder. It's worth saying twice because it's got two parts. <laughs> Compulsive overeating disorder, depression, psychotic hallucinations and obsessive compulsive disorder. I have a lot going on. Now, I hate feeling sad, but I do like talking health. So I've decided to have my cake and eat it, which is difficult to do as it is a trigger for several of my conditions. Just joking. Let's be positive. In this podcast, we focus on the solutions and the positive aspects of mental illness. So you're very welcome. Now, this podcast is only possible thanks to the generous sponsorship of Stagecoach Group. That is the group behind the buses and trains and that kind of stuff. So you might not think there's a link between public transport and mental health, but I'm determined to find it. And if I can't find it, I will create it in this podcast. I love finding links and patterns, even where there are none. And I did mention that I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, joining me this episode is actor, presenter and campaigner Adam Pearson. Now, Adam has neurofibromatosis type 1 and has been involved in outreach programmes on bullying associated with deformities. I'm assuming that's to combat and not promote it, but I don't want to speak for him. So Adam's going to have to answer that question himself. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's good to see you. I I enjoyed your list earlier. The, The positive areas, it was alphabetical. It was alphabetical, yes. Is that, is that the OCD? That is the OCD. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, now, you uh, you have a physical condition, but I'm, I'm here to talk to you today about your mental health history. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about your mental health journey? So my my mental health journey has been, been rather rather recent. And I, 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 I don't know, it, it's not... It doesn't sound very grandiose, um, and, and, and nor should it. I'm not a big fan when people um, talk up mental health because it, it only adds to the, the kind of whole intimidation and and stigma that surrounds it. But I, I've been through bouts of kind of anxiety and and depression. So when was that? Was it diagnosed recently then? Well, yeah, January. January. Well, in end of last year, but I properly kind of started dealing with it in January. Now, for anyone listening, I'm just going to give full disclosure here. Uh, Adam and I are old friends. We have known each other for, gosh, how many years now? Since 2013, 14? I think end- we, we, go, we go way, way back. Yeah, because yeah. I, I interviewed you for a show that I was creating all about uh, body confidence. Uh, and Adam is one of my most body confident friends. How we roll? Have you seen it? It's amazing. Yeah, we we really. If you want to Google or, or you find it on YouTube, just uh, have a little search for my name and Adam's name. Uh, and we also we were in a music video together as a result of that. Uh, your dancing in that music video was phenomenal. Uh, my dancing was, I mean, it was pretty good, but yours was, oh, it was pretty sexy. I know, right? Can you believe Strictly haven't called? <laughs> I can't. I don't know why they haven't called. For, we should present Strictly. We, we should. Oh, that would be we, amazing. I know. I know. Call us. Yes. Well, we can we can present maybe a YouTube thing uh, every Saturday and Sunday night for the next few weeks for Excellent. Strictly. Excellent. Anyway, slightly off topic. That's about how to improve my mental health currently, presently. Yes. It's uh, just seeing you every weekend. <laughs> uh, but... Um, now you you and I met because you do have a physical condition as well. Um, mm-hmm. Do people do you feel that people tend to assume that a person with a physical condition can't also struggle with mental health conditions? It is a kind of one or the other mentality, and I don't think that is a malicious thing. I just think it's the way that the vernacular around disability is structured: visible, invisible, and it's very polarizing black and white and but also there is these these misconceptions that physical disabilities are associated with um learning difficulties and that all disabled people are in some way a little bit simple 
or underachieve, and there are all these myths and misconceptions that surround the whole area. And those are even more compounded when you look at facial disfigurement. With physical disability, um, do you think people who have physical disabilities are more vulnerable to mental health issues? Would I say they're more vulnerable? That is a very good question. Thanks, babes. I, th I think it, it's how I roll, putting a positive spin on mental health. <laughs> Let's do this. I think they are more susceptible to intolerance. And I think being in that kind of environment and having those attitudes thrown at you would set you up to struggle with mental health at one point or another. I don't think that's alarmist to say. Do you, do you kind of, in your experience and meeting other people who are on a similar journey to you, do you find that, because isolation is obviously not, that's not good for anyone's mental health anyway. No. And having the challenge of a physical disability can sometimes perhaps mean that some people might want to isolate you further. Has Is that something that you've seen as a as a common thread between you and people who have similar conditions? Um, yes, completely. Completely. There's all this kind of ostracisation. It normally starts quite young. If you look at any school playground on the face of the planet, you'll see Darwin's theory playing out in its rawest form. Survival of the fittest. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the weak being dominated by, by the strong. And in the law of the playground, if you will, disability is very much at the bottom of the pecking order. The yeah, I, I I find this strange thing idea about what is weakness and what is strength, because it's it's all very well when you reach a certain age to be able to theorise about what is weakness, what is strength. Well, surely being sensitive is actually a strength in itself, or or having a different perspective is a strength in itself. But at, when you're in the playground, it's just who's got the biggest muscles, who's the biggest bully. It is who can say the meanest thing and throw the hardest hardest punch. And I don't think you have that social cognition yet to, to theorise like that. Kind of, oh, I, oh, my biggest strength is that I'm emotionally intelligent and, and sensitive. If you say that to a bully, that's a one-way ticket to, a, to an arse-kicking. <laughs> oh, it's almost as if like you were in the school playground with me. Uh, yeah. So were you bullied um, when you were younger then? Primary school, no. I think. Because the condition I have is progressive. It didn't start developing until I was at school. So everyone, I suppose, just got used to me and they'd grown up around me. And when you're that age, you are without prejudice. You have curiosity, which left unanswered is what leads to prejudice. But your life is literally swings and roundabouts when you're at primary school. My longest standing friendship is with the kids that sat next to me on day one realised that we both like the colour red and still has yet to leave me alone after 28 years. Well, Rethink Mental Illness, they've, they've said that um, when it comes to mental health and uh, long-term physical health conditions, that uh, more than a third of the population, that's 15 million people in England, live with one or more long-term health condition. And people with long-term physical conditions are more likely to have lower well-being scores than those without. So that's possibly around the, the themes that we've we've mentioned already, the kind of um, segregation, isolation. Um, when you were in primary school, you felt like you weren't you weren't bullied, but in secondary school, is that when? Yeah, the, the game changes slightly, and you go, and it's just how the process works. So you, you go from being in a rather small school of people that you know and you've grown up with, to a much larger school of of new people. And it's like a hard reset. You've got to start all over, all over again. And it's also at that age where this weird social conditioning kicks in, where your life and your qualities slowly drag away from, am I a nice person, to am I like a Kardashian? How many people follow me, like me, retweet me? etc etc and it just all becomes this really weird game that to this day I still don't quite understand. So what was your experience of that like um, was your your conditions progressive so was that when it, it continued to progress? Yeah it, well, it already pretty much well set in by the time I'd, I'd gone to secondary school but I'd already established relationships so 
um, the whole people don't mind don't matter, people don't matter don't mind was was a thing. And you know, I was, I was a good kid. People, people, people liked me. And then you you move in, and um, this was like 1996. So the DDA, um, now the Equality Act, was had just become a thing. So no one really quite knew what disability dis discrimination was, or, or how to use it. And the word kind of bullying, teasing, banter is thrown around kind of a lot. Though it's being used nowadays more as an excuse than as a as a descriptor. And it just went on and on and on, and no one was really doing anything. And then eventually, I just got a little bit, I guess, fed up a bit, for want of a, a better term, and started yelling back. Not yelling as in angrily, but I was always in this really um, unfortunate, fortunate, every cloud, yada, 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 being infinitely smarter than the people that were calling me names and bullying me. So I'd just be kind of blowing people up in the playground and then that would get back to kind of teachers and then things I, I'd need dealing with as well and then I kind of just got this reputation I guess of um I don't find trouble trouble finds me and <laughs> yeah just five years of being bullied hand handling it badly I, I, I was no saint and I'll happily hold my hands up and admit that but when you're in that kind of pressure cooker that is the school playground, you do act differently in, in those situations. And to this day, I still maintain, if people had just left me alone, we'd have got on great. Did that impact your mental health, though, those experiences? Not in a way that needed medication. I also think, way back then, kind of, this is, we're talking now 1995 to 2001, mental health was still a massive unknown. I mean, if you, if you think it's underreported now, way, way back then, you'd go and see your GP and they'd look at you and be like, grow up and send you on your way with a lollipop. So I don't think I had, I was depressed then. I, I was definitely sad and upset, but I, I was just thought that was part of the emotional spectrum and you can't have the highs without the lows. So you didn't necessarily have any diagnosis of, of mental health conditions back back in the years that you were at secondary school? No. Um, but then has that, how has is, how is the most recent experiences that you've had led you to being diagnosed uh, this earlier this year? Okay, cool. So I, I recently had eye surgery. I've had like, um, I'm blind in my left eye. I've had problems with my right for, for years. And I'd, I had this, um, it started kind of getting worse and, and a bit hazy. So I had this eyelid surgery that was went, meant to make it better and, and make it worse. For, and, just and, for anyone out there who doesn't know about your condition, can you briefly explain what it is that your physical, your neurofibromatosis is? I look weird. That, that, that's what I'm sure of it. I look weird. So the condition itself causes non-cancerous tumours called fibromas to grow on nerve endings. So in the same way that electrical cable is wrapped in plastic, your nerves are wrapped in cells called swan cells. And the condition means that these cells grow exponentially and don't know when to stop. So that's that's what's impacted your sight? Yeah. So you had eye surgery? Yes, to help improve it and, and, it, and it didn't. And I, I already was not doing great up, and, up until this point. I think I was kind of on, on the cusp. And what what was kind of to use the um, the diagnostic jargon, two weeks of low mood, and slowly started kind of twisting a bit, and so then it, it didn't go as I wanted it to. It made my vision worse. It eventually, kind of peeled it out. They say it could take months to to alter because if you change the shape of the eyelids, you change the shape of the lens which changes the reflective field of light entering the pupil and hitting the, the retina. And I sound like a doctor. It's amazing. <laughs> you certainly are and, intelligent. And I know, acting. <laughs> and so uh, after what was a good week of just crying and thinking my life was over, uh, I, I went and just said to my, my GP, I can't. I can't do this, do this anymore. What did they say? 
kind of they make you fill in this kind of questionnaire kind of you know you know the old one to five agree disagree yeah how so on how and so forth and I'm like why why am I filling in this form when I told you I stood outside East Grand Station and thought oh, maybe like literally an hour ago like what aren't you getting about this conversation whether you boiled it down to like these numbers yeah. Everyone has to fill out those forms, don't they? Yeah, and, you know, if if you weren't depressed before you started filling them in... Yeah, you will, you will be afterwards. It's just like, man, I was like 15 when I sat down, and now I'm a 21. I always find them, like, when with those weird, on a scale of one to five, how indecisive have you been recently? And, like, one, <laughs> I can make decisions very easily, up to five... I, I can't make decisions at all. A secret number six, I don't know because I can't decide. Yeah. It, it just doesn't, it, it does screw with your brain that alone, that kind of, in that, it's, when you're in that depressed state, how can you have any objectivity over what you're going through anyway? And, and, and no one, well, very few people seem to get that. I don't know if you've seen, um, are you familiar with James Leach? Yes. The comedian. Have you seen his, the way he feels in? Those, I have not, no. Those things. He li- that question there, how indecisive are you? And he's literally circled every number, crossed it out and circled <laughs> another number just to drive the point home. So how brave were you when you were filling out that form? Were you really honest with oh, it? Oh, I was, I was overly honest. That's a good way to be. Because there, there, there are two parts of the form. There's kind of like the behavioural and the social side. And I, I, got, I got 100% on the... I'm wording it like this so I can sound like I passed an exam. <laughs> and I got 100% on the um, behavioural. And I think I got 18 out of 19 on, on the social. So yes. I, I, I was a wreck at, at this point. That's the diagnostic there was... was the, the term they used was Adam Pearson is a wreck. That's, yeah. yeah, that yes. was the diagnosis. That, that is, that is. I got a badge and everything. Well, uh, congratulations on passing the exam. Thank you, um, thank you. So what happened next? I went for counselling. So was that a pretty a quick turnaround? So, somewhat quick, somewhat quick. Of course, there's, you can't call up and, and drop in like you can a, a clinic. So you've got to wait and have a chat on the phone and and what have you. And I rocked up at this building to, to talk to... And I, I, this is how I felt at the time. I'm not using these this in any kind of disrespectful disrespectful way but I kind of you know I was trying to put this building to talk to this woman who was just a little bit weird in my opinion but then you kind of I think it really helps I think kind of to talk to someone who is completely impartial who doesn't know you is really helpful so this this did help the counselling that you received did oh you? Com- completely how, how many sessions did you I had six Cool. And how did how did they kind of progress? Did you find it difficult to talk to open up? Eventually, um, you you start. Of course, it's difficult to to kind of start with, but then the more you you talk, the more you kind of unload. It's called baggage for a reason, I think. And and as a rule, I've always had kind of quite quite broad shoulders, so I'm kind of used to carrying a, a lot of stuff. But to be able to go in and just offload is, I was going to say therapeutic, but it's called therapy. <laughs> so that, that's rather self-explanatory. It does what it says in the tin. Exactly. It's, it's the John Ron seal of, of the NHS. <laughs> well, speaking about the NHS, did you see any difference between the treatment um, or the speed of treatment at which you received uh, for your mental health problems compared to your physical conditions? I got seen RE mental health a lot quicker and there's a lot less waiting around for the physical stuff between Moorfields and Chelsea Westminster. I spent a lot of time in, in waiting rooms and that, that's not a shot at the NHS. They're woefully oversubscribed and underfunded. Yeah, yeah. And if, if I had Theresa May's job, things would be very, very different. But I think there is a real push now on mental health, which is a really, really good thing. I think we're finally starting to understand what it is and are slowly getting away from the old school, kind of late 80s, early 90s, vernacular of, oh, no, they're just wrestling the black dog today. I'll be fine later. And that, that isn't how, how it works at all. And part of 
um, having a mental health condition is knowing that you might not ever be okay or cured, but learning how to be fine with that and working out what could send you backwards, what does keep you where you are and what does bring you forwards and making the decisions in your life accordingly. So you've been diagnosed really very recently which Mm -hmm. is fascinating to me because I'm I'm from the old school I was diagnosed way back when in the late 90s early 2000s and now such a hipster I'm so yeah I mean (laughs) before it was cool I was was so ahead of the game uh I'm I'm just saying that I know more than you uh no I don't I really I haven't I haven't got a clue Adam um that's the weird thing I find with mental illness is that it's constantly teaching you um but this is something I don't know is what the experience, what the experience is like to go through the NHS to be diagnosed now in the present day, present day, recent history, you know, um, this year. Yeah. And I, uh, I guess I'm quite fortunate whereby it was just a very, very short term experience. I'm not saying I'm cured and I'm the mental health messiah. I mean, but, some other people might say that, but you... no. But I, I, yeah, and people say all sorts of things to me in, <laughs> in the wonderful world of the internet. But no, I, you know, I, I went there. I was on um, a site. Oh my word! How weird is medication? Did you were you put on medication? Yeah, yeah. What, what were you so, put on? So, um, I I started out on sertraline, and and it was like twenty twenty milligrams a day. And I reckon I lasted three days on sertraline before I just went. I, I can't do this. I feel, I feel worse. I'm not sleeping. I think everyone's trying to kill me. So you found and, and the side I, effects were too much. Oh yeah, because one of my favourite things to do. I I had my friend Lisa staying with me at the time. One of my favourite things to do was to go into town and get coffee. And I just even then I couldn't pull myself together enough just to enjoy coffee with a dear friend. So with the. What happened after you tried the citrulline? I, 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 I came off it and stayed stayed off it for a few days just to let it all filter out, out your system. Fortunately, um, any kind of SSRI has a really short half-life. Yeah. So it's only, what, like a, a few days to get it, get it filtered out. And then I went and asked for something else and they put me on citalopram. And how have you found that? The first two to six weeks on any kind of SSRI can be awful. And they even say you might feel worse the first couple of weeks on this, but power through it. And the first two weeks were were awful. A lot of kind of staying in bed and, and watching loose women and crying. Um, not because I like loose women or it made me sad, I just didn't have the impetus to change the, change the channel. Kind of the depression is weird, like in in that way, and then eventually you kind of buck up, I guess, and then once you kind of balance out after six weeks, and kind of get get your head around your new reality, I suppose, you realise that you might have depression, but depression doesn't necessarily have you. And then I had a lot of things to be getting on with. I, I'm a much more stable, calmer person when I'm busy. So I always try and, and keep myself as busy as possible to avoid slipping back into bad habits and, and bad routines. It, it's when I kind of wake up in the morning and I don't want to get out of bed. And I know if I don't, I'm in trouble. It's a snowball effect, I always find. It, it is, absolutely. Whether it's healthy behaviour or unhealthy behaviour, it's easier, it becomes easier the more you do it. Mm-hmm. It becomes more habitual, whether it's whether it's damaging behaviour or, or things that are going to help you. Um, rethink mental illness, if you're listening, by the way, uh, and think, wondering if you might have depression, um, De- Rethink Mental Illness have told us that depression is fairly common, affecting about 1 in 10 people at some point during their life. It affects men and women, young and old. Depression is a long-lasting, low-mood disorder. It affects your ability to do everyday things, feel pleasure, or take interest in activities. Symptoms include low mood, 
feeling sad, irritable or angry, having less energy to do certain things, losing interest or enjoyment in activities you used to enjoy, loss of concentration, becoming tired more easily, disturbed sleep and losing your appetite, feeling guilty or worthless and thoughts of self-harm or suicide. Does any of those symptoms ring true to you, Adam? Um, yeah, quite quite a lot of them. Because you can have some of them, not all of them, and still have depression. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of not it's not a checklist, and yeah. I think that's where um, self diagnosis is remarkably unhelpful. And and I I I was very much guilty of that. I I kind of as well as kind of the eye stuff earlier. Um, or just last year, I, st- I started losing my hair and kind of alopecia. So I started Googling, oh, alopecia. And it got to the point where I Googled, has anyone died from alopecia? <laughs> That's how kind of panicky I I got. And it's just a picture of Gail Porter going, grow up. That happens when you type that in. But then sometimes things like like one or two of those, you can have one or two of those symptoms and it might be indicative of something completely different. Mm. Maybe simpler or a different a different diagnosis. Um, I lose my hair quite frequently because um, it's a side effect of stress. Uh, and often, sometimes, like at the moment, I'm brushing my hair and I've got big clumps of it and I'm like, Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm right there as well. It's growing back where it came up, but it's falling out elsewhere. And it all, it all um, started... Um, I, I'd had a, a surgery and the scar hadn't quite healed properly and I had to go to New York to kind of shoot a film and I bumped my head at uh, Gatwick Airport and the scar split open slightly oh, no. and at that point I start losing my mind. So I get checked out of the airport, they bandage me up, I get to New York. Um, I, I had insurance but they didn't call them so it was $250 just to sit down and another $500 to be told I'm okay and and then um, I'd have to pay it in the end. I kind of fought it and dealt with it and and what what have you. And yeah, so and then it takes three. And then the way your hair, the cycle of your hair follicles, is just experience will put them into like the resting phase. And then it's three months of a traumatic event before your hair starts to fall out, and it really kind of started falling out. I didn't know that. That's... That's shocking. And how, but it, you, if I know if anyone who hasn't Googled how gorgeous Adam looks right now, your hair's looking brilliant right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's going good. It's coming back in quicker than it, and it's falling out. And a lot of um, stuff without a pizza because it's predominantly an autoimmune condition. And this is very easy to say now as someone that's like a year into it. You just have to let it burn itself out. Um, if anyone is listening uh, who is struggling with uh, losing their hair, uh, do go to see your GP. Um, Rethink Again have suggested that uh, for all of the conditions that we're outlining in these episodes of Positive Mental Attitude, if you're worried about your mental health or your hair loss, we recommend seeing your GP in the first instance. Um, but Rethink Mental Illness also offers advice and information through free fact sheets at rethink.org and a helpline calls charged at local rates. And you can call on 0300 5009 to seven lines open Monday to Friday 9.30am till 4pm excluding bank holidays or email advice at rethink.org for 24-7 emotional support we also recommend Samaritans on 116123 UK and Ireland or email joe at samaritans.org and if you're outside the UK because this podcast you might be sitting listening in all kinds of far-fung places and if Adam and I can come and stay with you so if you're sitting somewhere on a beach in a hot climate please do invite us out there um, but if you're outside the UK we recommend going to see your doctor who can recommend local support. And speaking of fantastic interviewees, next up, I chat to Lost Voice Guy, or rather, I asked Lost Voice Guy some questions. Now, um, you might know Lost Voice Guy. He won Britain's Got Talent this year. I know him as Lee Ridley. Um, he and I have been friends for uh, many years now. We've performed together as part of um, disabled comedians' lineups, and I'm Token Mental Health Girl, and Lee has cerebral palsy. And Lee, therefore, has lost his voice. Uh, this is something that he talks about in his comedy. And I wanted to ask him more about how mental health and disability, physical disability, are related because uh, mental health is now also recognised as a disability if it has a long-term effect on your life. And Lee and I have a lot in common and there are differences as well. Um, And I wanted to ask him how fame in particular had affected his mental health and how he's uh, found solace and help from people around him, uh, not only with his own physical disability, but also with his mental well-being. 
Here's Lee, a.k.a. Lost Voice Guy. Hello, my name is Lee Ridley, but you probably know me better as the stand-up comedian, Lost Voice Guy. I'm the Geordie without the accent. I was disabled before it was popular, and I recently won a little program called Britain's Got Talent. And I know the lovely Juliette Burton from the comedy circuit. Yes, I have a disability called cerebral palsy. It affects different people in different ways. But, in my case, it meant that I lost my speech, I walk very funny, and my right side of my body is weaker than my result. As a result, I use a communication aid to speak with. That's what you are hearing now. Basically, I type in what I want it to say, and it speaks it for me. And I realize that I sound like a posh version of Robocop. I haven't been diagnosed with any mental health conditions, actually. I do spot traits of several of them in my day-to-day -day life. For example, OCD and bipolar disorder. But, obviously without a medical opinion, I'm very wary about saying that I have something when I might not have. It's quite interesting being on the comedy circuit because I think many comedians have some sort of mental health condition. So it's nice to be able to see it from that perspective. Because I know so many people who suffer from bad mental health. I think it helps me to understand it better. I certainly hope so anyway. Whereas, I don't think the general public are quite at that stage yet. It's still a bit taboo to talk about mental health in day-to-day -day life. That's a shame, because it really helps to talk about stuff. But, on the whole, I think we have a better understanding of it than we used to. Obviously winning the show has meant that I'm in the public eye a lot more than I used to be. For example, people recognize me everywhere I go now, and I have a lot more followers on social media and stuff. That's been quite hard to cope with at times. Mainly because I don't have the same amount of time to just switch off and relax anymore. I'm always writing my book, or booking gigs or replying to emails and stuff. Straight after I won the show, I was drowning in notifications and it did get a bit too much. I couldn't really find any time to myself, and that affected my sleeping patterns as well. I think I'm starting to get a bit more used to it now though. It's definitely balancing itself out. I'm also lucky to have great family and friends who have looked after me amazingly well too. I think my family and friends have looked after me mostly. And they haven't done anything in particular. They just kept an eye on me and stuff. Those are the type of people that you want around you, because they instantly know when something is wrong, and they can do something about it before it gets too bad. I think physical health and mental health are definitely linked. For example, I sometimes get depressed that my body can't do everything I want it to do. So, that's my physical health affecting my mental health. Having a disability certainly affects how I see myself as well. I think it's quite hard to be a confident disabled person when we live in a society that judges us so much. I think joking about my condition helps me cope a lot. I've always seen the funny side of my disability and I think that's been very important to me. If I didn't laugh about it, I'd most certainly cry. I also think I joke about my disability as a defense mechanism. As long as I'm laughing at myself, it means that no one else can laugh at me first. In that way. I think that comedy is a very powerful tool. Huge thank you to Lee Ridley, a.k.a. Lost Voice Guy. And do go see him on tour at a show. He's fantastic. Find out all about him on the social media. Um, the social media, the internet. Have you heard of it? It's very nice. And you can find out more about me and my shows on that there internet as well. Now, uh, Adam, um, you are an actor, amongst many other things. I am. Uh, what made you want to go into acting? Oh, wow. Um, I didn't. 
I I was at work. Um, I was casting a very well-known Channel 4 series where we may or may not send disabled people on dates. And um, I got an email from Changing Faces, who are the, the UK's largest charity that helps support people with facial disfigurement and visible difference, saying, hey, the song company have been in touch. They're looking for a man. I'm a man with a facial disfigurement. I have a facial disfigurement. Age 30 to 40. Because oh. I was like 26 at the time with like gardening experience. And I was like, oh, no, that's nowhere near what I am. But I still sent an email, got to be in it to win it, all that jazz, let's, let's have some fun. And you could, I, I sent off an email going, hey, heard about this, I'm interested, let's chat. I could have literally counted to ten, and my mobile phone went. And the, the casting director, um, who I still talk to, Carleen, like, wonderful woman, very, very good at her job. Um, we had a chat and she went, no, you sound quite good. Could you send us a, a little paragraph about yourself? And I didn't have time, so, so I sent my CV. And my, my CV is very, very media. In the, um, at the top, kind of Adam Pearson, address, phone number, um, vitals. And then my personal statement and the opening line at the time of my personal statement on my CV is, my name's Adam Pearson, I'm the best in the world at what I do. <laughs> And then, and then nothing about what I do, not like no kind of extrapolation. Just here are the cold hard facts as they exist. And then they called back like a few days later, and went, "Yeah, our director's quite taken. Could you put a little clip of yourself on YouTube so we can see how you look, talk, and move?" So I uploaded a very blunt, sarcastic YouTube clip. Right, I think I make fun of my current employer, uh, star signs cat owners and then a, and then my best friend's dog just appears in my arms out of nowhere and slowly looks round like it's in the exorcist or something and i was just like awesome this will get rid of them send and heard nothing for two weeks and then um i got asked to go and meet the director for a coffee um at do you know the american church on tottenham court road uh i probably have walked past it many times we we, we went to meet there because it was bang opposite where I was working at the time. And um, I got hit by a car on Tottenham Court Road and broke my leg. And like properly broke it. Knee pointing one way, foot pointing the other way. And then adrenaline kicked in. I called the director and I um, was like, hey, funny story, just been hit by a car. I think my leg's broke. I'm still really keen. Don't think I'm not keen or that I'm flogging you off, good sir. I'm just going to be about 10 minutes late. And then hung up the phone, called my mom, just like, hey, been hit by a cab. It was always going to happen. I'll see you in UCL in about an hour and a half. And hung up. By this point, I'm surrounded by, like, paramedics. People have come out of work. Um, one of my colleagues was just like, do you need someone to come to the hospital with you? And I was like, no, I'm all right. And she, she was like, really? Because I'm supposed to be going to Pilates with my best friend, but I really don't want to go. Can I please come to the hospital with you? Fine, get in. And then um, the director then finds me. At this point, I'm under a black cab in just my pants, surrounded by paramedics, high as giraffe tail on morphine. And apparently, the the clincher was when he went, um, bloody hell, Adam, I didn't realise you did your own stunts. <laughs> to which I apparently replied, I don't know, morphine. Do I look like I've got a <clears throat> stunt double? <laughs> Very good. So uh, that's that's how I got into into acting. And that was for a film called Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson? It was. I got to work with um, Miss Johansson. And uh, you got to hang out with her, kiss her, do things with her? Uh, we, so the, we didn't have a kissing scene, but there, there is a nude scene and there is like a touching, nice. a touching scene. A touching um, scene, touching yeah. emotionally as well. Yes, as indeed. Wonderful. Indeed. And uh, recently you've been in, in the news um, after being overlooked for the role of John Merrick, um, a.k.a. The, the Elephant, Elephant Man, in a new BBC adaptation, which instead cast a non-disabled actor, which caused much controversy. Um did you want to tell me a little bit about that? Because that is um, that's a, this is new information. Oh, this, is, this is super new. This has been the last week of my life. Mm. It's, it's been joyous and infuriating all at the same time because the internet is a thing. So, let, for, for the record, this is just one example of how very often um, the TV and film industry 
um, use Quipsock able-bodied actors as a crutch rather than hiring and going out and finding good disabled actors, of which there are hundreds. And this is very much the um, 2018 version of Blacking Up. And, and did, did, did I want the role? Probably not. Well, I'd like to have at least got on a phone call or an audition. Probably. And if they didn't audition me, they probably didn't audition anyone. Because if you type in actor, elephant man, BBC, London, I'm the, I'm the first, well, I was the, now it's Charlie Heaton, for God's sake. But I used to be the first thing that came up. And it's it's just a, a little bit lazy, in my opinion. Do, do you think that when it comes to casting uh, disabled actors uh, or non-disabled actors for, for disabled roles, do you think this should apply for mental mental health as well? I think if you can find someone that has um, first-hand experience of what you are trying to portray on screen, your first protocol should be for people who have lived it and know about it and therefore understand it. Yes. That's the definitive. You sound so authoritative. I can't, no one can argue with that, really. Well, pe- pe- people people have. Um, <laughs> here, here are some of my favourites. Um, it's just acting, mate. Oh, so only rapists can play rapists now. I had someone um, go, well, what about white chicks? And I really, that's just of all the films in cinema history to throw at me. Oh, yeah, that's... that's to the, try and argue with me. Great you, you thought you'd go with white chicks. <laughs> that, that masterpiece. Uh, well, John Hurt did it. Granted, he did it. He did it well. It was in 1985. Um, Laurence Olivier blacked up to play Othello in 1965 and, by all accounts, nailed it. Does it have a place in 2018? Absolutely not. Uh, now it is time for solution of the episode. Uh, thank you for all of your suggestions uh, that you've tweeted us uh, at Juliet Burton. Uh, some of them have been so good that I've been tempted to induce problems simply to try out your solutions. So our solution for this episode is, it's one of my favourite, it's gratitude lists. Now, uh, Rethink Mental Illness say that journaling or gratitude lists uh, have been shown in studies uh, to have be able to be really really helpful for your mental health uh, writing about your day your feelings and your worries can clear your head help you to sleep feel more relaxed and solve problems and I do this I, I tend to do um, counting 10 things I'm grateful for so if I'm really struggling with my depression or anxiety if I just force myself to take a moment where I count 10 things that I'm grateful for on my hands uh, so counting down uh, each digit then it's um, it just helps me to focus on the things I have in my life, not the things I lack, uh, to focus on being present in the moment. Um, Adam, does that, do you ever do that? Do you ever? Yeah, yeah, big, big fan of this. I did a, a TED talk in um, Lincoln recently, TEDx Rafer Paul, and one of the guys there, um, Jakob, that was the basis of his whole talk. He wrote this whole book on gratitude. And he said, he said even writing it for him, just changed his life and he went from being a really angry grumpy so-and-so to just being so full of kind of gratitude joy empathy what you focus on what you focus on is what you get i really believe that no absolutely and it's something i've been really conscious about trying to do very very deliberately um i've only been doing it for, for about a month now we're just messaging people going you know just telling people that you care about you you care about them I think um, we're in danger of treating relationships as disposable. And I think if you can really dial in on on who got around you, how much they mean to you, and how that should work itself out in reality, that's it's, incredibly helpful. It's so easy, I think, to, to miss, to focus on all the things that maybe are negative and miss the things that are wonderful in your life and that are positive, to bring it back to positive mental attitude and... Um, it's so easy to not celebrate that enough um and actually we've got so much to be grateful for like there's even even in the depths of of the worst mental health episodes i've had i've i've got amazing family amazing um friends um i'm very grateful right now that you've come on this podcast because uh, and to have you as a friend as well because we've known each other for quite a while now we, we have you haven't stopped hanging out with me yet um I'm, I'm trying i'm trying to give you reason to stop but no you just keep but none of them are good enough quite 
quite frankly. You've got to go nuclear okay. to, to stop me hanging out. Hanging out with you. Challenge accepted. Excellent. Uh, now, uh, before you came on today's podcast, I asked you, Adam Pearson, what your solution of the episode was, what things have helped you the most in your mental health journey. And you said to me uh, via email that there's a lot to be said for counselling and psychotherapy. Everyone's mental health journey is different. We all have different mechanisms that help us cope with our situations and manage our own madness. Uh, but, but you have always advocated communication and community as a way of helping oneself through it. Uh, depression and anxiety can be a lonely place the amount of stigma attached to mental health merely stands to exacerbate this feeling you said uh, though a big step in managing everything is realizing that you're not alone and that it's okay not to be okay uh, so that's yeah, yeah that, that sounds like something i'd write that that was what you said um <laughs> and rethink mental illness i went away to them and said hey was adam right is is can counseling and can friendship help and they said yes juliet why are you questioning your uh, podcast guests um and they've sent me back some reasons some expert voices on why counselling and friendship can help uh, so they said counselling can help you gain a better understanding of your feelings and thoughts and processes and finding your own solutions to problems uh, but they won't usually give advice or tell you what to do counselling can be accessed through the NHS or privately or through charities like Mind and when you come to friendships because you speak so wonderfully about friendships and friendships are wonderful uh, you're one of my very good friends Adam so thank you for that Rethink mental illness actually have a, an official stance on friendship. Uh, they say that friendship is a crucial element in protecting our mental health. We need to talk to our friends and we want to listen when our friends want to talk to us. Our friends can keep us grounded and can help us get things in perspective. It is worth putting effort into maintaining our friendships and making new friends. Friends form one of the foundations of our ability to cope with the problems that life throws at us. Um, would you agree with that, Adam? I, I would. I would. I've got a lot of good friends, one of whom is sitting opposite me. Hey, babes. Right right now. How are you doing? I don't know why um, I'm calling you babes today. I I, I know, I know. I'll, I'll take it, though. It, it, it's it's meant with affection, so I, I will take it lastly. But no, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of friends. One of my friends, Mark, if either of us are having a, a stressy day, we'll just WhatsApp the other and be like, I want to watch wrestling and not think about my life for a few hours. Are you available? And they'll be like, yeah. And then we'll, you know, hang out, watch a bit of wrestling. Uh, my best friend, Anna, um, if ever I'd rest feeling, like, kind of lonely, we'll be like, hey, I'm feeling lonely. Do you want to go get kind of food or coffee or something? And yeah. then I'll, I'll normally reply going, you're vegan, this might be tricky. And she'll <laughs> reply going, shut up. And then we'll, we'll compromise and go get vegan food. I think people underestimate when it comes to mental illness how much of an, a positive effect a little text just saying, hey, how are you, can have. If, if you have a friend who is struggling with uh, their mental illness or you, or you suspect might be struggling with an undiagnosed mental illness, uh, just send them a quick text and just say, hey, okay. how are you, I'm thinking of you. Um, if they don't answer, don't take it as a slight, a personal slight. It, they are, they're probably going through a lot, but just reaching out to them and keeping yeah. that communication clear. Yeah, it's it, it's weird, and I, I felt really weird doing it for a while. I was just like, "Dear God, piercing, you're such a girl." <laughs> kind of, but now, hey, being I, a girl is brilliant. I am aware, but kind of, as someone that's very kind of girl steak, um, it, it was just a really weird transition to have to make emotionally. Yeah, but now I I don't go a single evening without texting a good night. What one thing have you learned about yourself in your mental health journey? That I'm not invincible and that that's okay. Wonderful. Uh, what one person has helped you more than anyone else? My mum. Hey, Adam's mum, I love you. Hey, Marilyn. Uh, and uh, what's the worst thing that anyone has asked you about your mental illness? Oh, Wow. Or what's the best thing? If you can't think of the worst thing, that's probably a well, good no, thing. The worst thing to say is, when will you be cured? Yeah, good one. And what's the best thing somebody's asked you about it? Are you okay? Lovely. And uh, what is the simplest thing that anyone can do to help their mental health? I, as, as are you, a huge advocate of puppy time. Puppies! Brilliant. Uh, yes, to hanging out with dogs, yes? Yes, absolutely. If you don't have a friend with a dog, make a friend with a dog because friendship's important. We've just discussed that. And then steal their dog. And do you like talking about mental illness? I think I'm at the point now where I can say yes. If you'd have asked me this a few months ago, 
I'd have been like, no, it's weird. But um, and I think it's important enough where we should all learn to like it. Well, in that case, I'm glad that I waited until now to ask you to do this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you so much, Adam. Uh, If you are listening to this and thinking, oh, my God, Adam Pearson is so cool and he's friends with Juliet. Um, I want to be friends with Adam Pearson. Well, you can, too, uh, but maybe from a distance. Uh, So if you want to find him on Twitter, where do we go? We go at Adam underscore Pearson. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Facebook, um, Instagram, all those kinds of places. I do all all that that kind of stuff. I think it's Adam Pearson TV on Instagram because... Because I'm nothing but humble. And just Adam Pearson on on Facebook. If I don't accept you right away, don't don't be offended. Uh, they cap the amount of friends you can have on Facebook to 5,000. Because Mark Zuckerberg doesn't think it's possible to hold down a bigger network than that, clearly. So I now have fans and followers, which is just a really weird thing to have to say on a podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed, and everyone who doesn't identify as either of those binary uh, agendas, uh, if you want to find out more about Adam, do uh, find him on all those different channels. Uh, remember, he's acted alongside Scarlett Johansson. You can watch him in Under the Skin. Uh, you can also uh, watch him in uh, Tricks of the Restaurant Trade uh, and on social media, find him and uh, message him. Tell him how wonderful he was. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, now, rounding up this lovely episode... Um, if you want any further information uh, about mental health, we tried our hardest to be thorough, but don't worry, I'm not going to be offended. If you want more information, then go to Rethink Mental Illness at www.rethink.org. Now, my favourite section of this whole podcast, as much as I loved chatting to you, Adam, this is my favourite thing, uh, which is called Positive Thing, because that was as much creativity as I could pour into it, uh, where I tell you something positive that I have learned. Uh, it's done wonders for my mood, but did diddly squat for my habit of procrastinating. Now, I've picked something very specific to you, Adam, as my one favourite positive thing uh reason to be positive uh did you know and i'm fairly confident you do that the man who was the voice of disney's mickey mouse for over 30 years wayne alwyn was married to the woman who voices minnie mouse russy taylor i love that fact it's adorable isn't it i love it it just made me so happy um also i just want to do a little shout out for something you might not know um do check out the TED Talk by Tina, I want to say Loud, um, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants the Musical. I went to see SpongeBob SquarePants the Musical twice this year. Um, I went to New York twice and both times I went to see it on Broadway. Amazing. It's all about being everything uh, all at once rather than being an either or kind of person. It makes me very happy. Thank you so much, Adam, our lovely guest. Uh, thank you to Rethink Mental Illness and uh, also to everyone involved in the show. This show was written by Juliet Burton and Liam Byrne and presented by me, Juliet Burton. Thanks go to Andy Leek, Frankie Lowe and everyone at Alchemy Studios. And thank you for listening. If you want other reasons to stay positive, why not listen to the, all of the other Positive Mental Attitude podcasts? And please do tell us if you liked it. Uh, tell us what your solution of the episode is. What is your one thing that uh, helps you with your mental health uh, most of all? Get in touch on social media. I'm at Juliet Burton, two T's and an E-J, U-L-I-E-T-T-E-B-U-R-T-O-N. And you can find this podcast on Twitter as well at cast positive we want to make more and more of these loads of them so please keep spreading the positivity and spread the words use all kinds of hashtags positive mental attitude positive podcast pma podcast whatever you want until the next episode i like your attitude remember progress not perfection stay positive my friends